Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. I never cease to be strengthened by the Word of God, and that has been especially true as I have begun to study the Bible in the light of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is making a big difference in the world today, and how could something so transformative be omitted from Scripture? It's simply not possible. Well, in uh, episode number seven, we started to look at the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as it is referred to in the book of Matthew with the goal to understand how that kingdom is described in monetary terms and how those descriptions harmonize with Bitcoin and ultimately to uh, produce evidence and to set forth the hypothesis that Bitcoin is the monetary system of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And so we're going to continue in that vein in this episode, and I'm really excited. I just glanced at the next occurrence of the kingdom in the book of Matthew after the ones that we covered in episode 7, and I think it really fits this particular point in the sequence of episodes. We have just had two sort of really packed and, I would say, heavy episodes, heavy in the sense of really deep um, and full of spiritual meaning that frankly, we could not even fully unpack in the last two episodes. Uh, in episodes 9 and 10, we spoke heavily about the law of God and in comparison or in connection with Bitcoin. And I think the verses that we're going to read right now really kind of answer the natural question or the natural thought that someone might have after hearing those topics. And the law of God is something sacred, quite frankly. It's the transcription of the character of God. It's what characterizes him and naturally his kingdom, which therefore is why it is the law of his kingdom. In other words, a king, because of his character, is going to lay down laws that are in harmony with his character. And if you think about it, therefore, it's only natural that the law is a transcript of the character of the one who reigns over the kingdom. And this has huge implications. In one sense, it's really exciting to think that those who are prophesied to reign in the kingdom of God must then also exhibit these same characteristics. And this is what the Bible has been sort of pointing to ever since the fall of mankind. And we talked a lot about the great controversy between good and evil in episode number 10 in connection with the law of God. 
And kind of in that same vein, in order for mankind to be restored to a level of character that is suitable for eternal life in heaven, the same character that gives rise to the law of heaven, the law of God, must be the character of the human, the individual who receives eternal life. So, in other words, the whole journey to heaven could be described as a journey of character development, of attaining a character that is, you could just say, compatible with the law of God in order for an individual to be able to receive eternal life. But those who reign in the kingdom of God must have not only a character that is compatible with the law of God, but one that is itself the same as the law of God, or the same as the character of God, and therefore is able to reign over a kingdom with such laws, with the set of laws that govern the kingdom of God. So that's just really exciting because it points to the, the magnificent promise of God to bring humanity to that point. And what we're seeing today in many ways is just that. God is refining his people and particularly transforming their character to be like his, not in an obligatory way, but he is allowing people to develop in that way and assisting them, providing everything necessary for people to develop their character in the likeness of his own, to restore the image of God in man. So this is a fascinating topic, and I'm excited to see what directions this is going to take, because quite frankly, I don't know. So let's open the Word of God and start. So we're going to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5 and verse 17. Now this is continuing the Sermon on the Mount. And keep in mind the context here, or just generally, as Jesus was speaking to people about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, is that Israel was awaiting deliverance from the Romans. They were awaiting a Messiah that would free them from submission to the Romans, that would liberate them as a nation, as a people, and restore their independence, their sovereignty as a nation. And that's the perception or the hope that the people had. And so, and, and to them, that kingdom that they hoped for, the new Israel that they were awaiting, that the Messiah was to bring, was the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of heaven meant to them. It was not as we explained in episode 7, it was not an imaginary kingdom in the sky, in the clouds, in outer space somewhere. They understood the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, to simply be a kingdom on earth that was led by God, which is what the nation of Israel historically was. From the time when they entered the promised land and began to grow as a nation, they were a nation led by God here on earth. And that was a kingdom of God or a kingdom 
of heaven here on earth, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And so when they looked for the Messiah, a leader sent by God prophesied in the Bible and coming on behalf of God to lead the nation back into liberty and sovereignty as a people. This was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven that they were awaiting. This is in a similar sense to how the Bible speaks about the sons of God as being those who are led by God, who espouse the principles of God, who have the character of God. These are the sons of God all throughout the Bible, whereas the sons of men, by contrast, are those who simply do their own thing. So, in a similar way, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is in the eyes of of the Jewish people at this time that Jesus is speaking to them, a kingdom on earth that is ordained by God and, and led by God and follows the principles of his kingdom. So with that mindset of an earthly kingdom, as they are listening to the words of Jesus and Jesus is speaking to them, trying to open their mind and to help them understand better what this kingdom is like that they are expecting, he says, Think not, Matthew 5, verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So, right there, again, like I said, this fits very well with the topics that we've been covering in the last couple of episodes, the topics of the law. And when we compare the law with Bitcoin, there could be a tendency to think, well, is this guy in this podcast teaching that the law of God is no longer important and that the only thing that matters is, is Bitcoin? No. This verse answers that. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Or you could say, think not that Bitcoin has come to destroy the law or the prophets. So now this is perhaps a lesson to many who are very strong proponents of Bitcoin, but are very much against religion and against God in general. Well, Bitcoin is wonderful in the sense that it gives freedom to all and it gives its benefits to all. And this is itself a principle or an aspect of God's character. God does not compel. He does not force. And he does not force people to become Christians or force people to believe in God, in himself. He simply does as Bitcoin does. He makes himself available. And to put it in the words of the Bible, God causes the sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're good or bad or whatever. The sun is there. It's in the sky and anyone can benefit from it. Anyone can be warmed by it and take advantage of its life-sustaining properties. But you don't have to. It's not obligatory, but it's available to all. So that's kind of, that's an aspect of God's character. And that illustrates his justice and that he is no respecter of persons. Anyone who wants to take advantage of his blessings can do so. And Bitcoin works in the same way. Anyone who wants to participate in the system can do so. So that kind of liberty is an example of how Bitcoin as a system 
reflects the character of God, building on this idea in the previous episodes of Bitcoin in comparison to the law of God. But staying with this verse for a moment, think not that Bitcoin is come to destroy the law or the prophets. So the law and the prophets being for them, it was the books of Moses, that's what was the law, and the prophets were the other prophetic books written by the prophets that prophesied of the coming of Jesus himself. And Jesus says here, don't think that I came to destroy either one or the other, okay? Because Jesus was in many ways freeing the people from the arbitrary restrictions and wrong thinking that had developed the traditions that had developed around the Jewish religion. And because of that, people thought that he was working against the law of Moses. So we could see that kind of in the same way in the realm of Bitcoin, for example, that Bitcoin being an open system is available to all. And you could say, well, maybe that's too free. It's kind of like uh, the topic of freedom of speech. It was in the news this week that the website of a well-known video downloader software application was taken down by their hosting provider in response to legal pressures. It was on the grounds that this particular software tool could be used to bypass some rather weak video encryption measures that YouTube implements to prevent people from copying videos directly off of YouTube, kind of like the old typical copy protection measures. But on the other hand, this tool can also be used to download videos for many legal purposes. So it's just a tool and how it's used is the question of legality. And so even now, the software, it's called YouTube DL, is still available on GitHub. And this is actually a continuing saga uh, because once before, GitHub had taken down the repository for this software. But after a lot of complaints and so forth, uh, they put it back. And so now the software is available. So it's an ongoing battle, and they expect that more websites are likely to be taken down now by hosting providers simply to avoid problems, kind of as a proactive measure. If there are a lot of complaints and so forth, then it's likely that they will just simply take sites down just to avoid trouble, to avoid future fines and litigation. And so this is really a concern because... It shows that the powers that be are more than eager, more than persistent in controlling free speech and preventing free software, which is a form of free speech, from thriving, essentially. So kind of bringing this back to the topic, Bitcoin is just a form of free speech. It's free software and just like free societies allow you to freely publish books and distribute them, you can also freely publish the source code of Bitcoin 
and distribute it, and people can run that on their own systems and become part of this network called Bitcoin. It's a free and open system. But the efforts that are made against open source software should give pause for concern. And that's why Bitcoin takes appropriate measures to ensure that it can thrive even against such attacks. And it can do that only by virtue of being a decentralized system. And that's why there's a lot of effort going on right now in various realms to try to decentralize as much of the internet infrastructure and the web infrastructure as possible to allow, whether it be video hosting, whether it be Twitter-like applications like those built on the Nostra protocol or whatever the case may be, to allow freedom of speech to thrive despite the efforts of censorship on the part of centralized government. So that's a topic in itself that has kind of come up this week and really shows the contrast between the laws of the world and the law of God, in which he causes the sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. And it's sort of up to the individual whether he is going to benefit from that, whether he's going to be enlightened by the sun or burned by the sun or simply hide himself from the sun and freeze to death. So God is no respecter of persons and neither is Bitcoin. Is it okay to have complete freedom of speech? Doesn't that allow people to speak things that are not okay? And yes, it does. But that is part of what makes freedom of speech a good thing. Without freedom of speech, there is simply no freedom. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So if we recognize that Bitcoin does have these characteristics that are reflective of the characteristics of God and, and of Jesus Christ himself, if you can accept that as a hypothesis, then within that context, within the context of that hypothesis, it would not be a stretch or it would not be blasphemy to put Bitcoin in the place of Jesus Christ in this verse as an earthly expression of his law here on earth. Think not that Bitcoin is come to destroy the law, the law of God, or the prophets, the prophecies of the Bible. Bitcoin is not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That puts things in a very different light than probably many are comfortable with. And that's something that I've had to really grapple with myself and really ask myself, is it, is it okay? Is it even okay to hypothesize this and to ask these questions? But ultimately, there was too much evidence, too much similarity in the character, in the nature of Bitcoin and the character of God that I felt that one needs to ask this question and one needs to find a conclusive answer to it. Is Bitcoin in harmony, in complete harmony, with the law of God, or is it not? And that's what I'm exploring with you here in this podcast. And I don't have all the answers, and I'm not here to change anyone's beliefs or thinking. 
but just to invite you to evaluate this with me. I personally am not here to destroy anyone's thinking, anyone's religion, anyone's understanding of the Bible, but I believe that what we can discover in this podcast can actually fulfill what you've always been searching for in your religion, in the Bible, in your understanding of the Word of God. And that comes through understanding how Bitcoin fulfills this role and how it is an expression of the character of Jesus Christ here on earth and the character of his kingdom, the foundation of his kingdom, which is his law. And we spoke also in previous episodes early on that the foundation of a kingdom, it's not just the law, right? The law, of course, is the foundation of, of any kingdom, but it's also the money. The money of a kingdom is also foundational to the kingdom, and it's usually connected very closely with the law. The law specifies what the legal currency is and such things like that, and how infractions of the law are treated in terms of monetary penalties and things like that. So remember now, let's get back to the context of Israel at the time Jesus was talking to them on the mount. They were expecting an earthly kingdom, and it was, for them, going to be the kingdom of heaven, meaning it was going to follow the laws of God, which were written in the books of Moses. So they were looking for a kingdom on earth that would have as its law the law of God as expressed in the Ten Commandments and in the ordinances given in the books of Moses. And they were afraid or apprehensive as to whether Jesus would uphold that law because that was the sign or that, that was one of the characteristics that they expected of the Messiah was that he would uphold the law. And many times when Jesus didn't seem to be following the letter of the law as they understood it, then they took issue with that. And so here he's making it absolutely clear. Don't think that I'm here to destroy the law or the prophets. He says, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Wow. So this is now a very strong statement. Jesus says that till heaven and earth pass, so till the end of the world, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. That means the law will stand in every respect, in, in every detail, till everything is fulfilled, till it's all over with, till the world comes to an end. Now, one has to ask what that really means, okay? Because not one aspect of God's law or his character will be invalidated or repudiated until it is all fulfilled. And you can understand that to mean here on earth. And that's an amazing promise because what this is speaking about is the fact that the law of God, Jesus came to establish the law of God or to fulfill it, as it says in verse 17, to establish the law of God here on earth such that in every respect, every jot and tittle, it will be fulfilled. 
And for the people of God who are looking forward to the kingdom of heaven and who are in anticipation of the hope, the promise of reigning and being kings and priests in his kingdom, that is what they need. They need the fullness of his character, the fullness of his law to be exemplified in them. In verse 19, it continues, Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of the least, one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we are looking at this in the context of Bitcoin, let's just back up a minute and say that Jesus came not to destroy, but to fulfill. And we can see that in a sort of, you know, reflected again today in the advent of Bitcoin, if you can call it that, where Bitcoin has come not to destroy the law of God or the prophets, but to fulfill or to bring to reality his law here on earth. And not one jot or tittle shall in any wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. This is like how Bitcoin enforces its laws and they do not change because of the way consensus works, the consensus of node runners, that the code can't just arbitrarily be changed. There's a resistance to that, that Bitcoin stays Bitcoin. It doesn't morph into something else like Ethereum has or like many other altcoins have. Bitcoin has this property of decentralization that defends it against any jot or tittle changing. That's to say, the hard cap of 21 million Bitcoins isn't going to change. Okay, That's to say, the rate at which coin issuance is halved every four, about every four years, that's not going to change. See, these are the rules, the laws, the, the jots and tittles. And not one Satoshi is going to change from that number, 21 million, till all be fulfilled. In other words, till the end of the world. So it fits. But whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, whosoever shall switch from proof of work to proof of stake, like Ethereum, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. So in that sense, this financial system that is in harmony with the kingdom of heaven is not one that has arbitrary rules that can be changed. It's one that endures. And those who live by these rules and teach others, so like, you know, Bitcoiners are very deliberate about proper education in financial matters and about doing their own due diligence to run their own nodes and in that way uphold the laws of Bitcoin, the rules of the system. And so, yeah, whoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven or in the realm of Bitcoin. And so you can see the parallel there very clearly. And now in verse 20, it gets spicy. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, 
ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So now righteousness, remember, the true meaning of that is closer to justice than it is to sort of our modern idea of holiness or doing good. Of course, justice is holiness and doing good, but the connotation is a little bit different. We could read this more correctly as that except your justice, except you behave more justly, except your justice shall exceed the justice of the scribes and Pharisees. Unless you behave more justly than the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And now, if the kingdom of heaven is represented on earth by, in the financial form, by Bitcoin, then who are the scribes and Pharisees? Who are the interpreters of the monetary law today? Those are the Jerome Powells, the... Uh, Janet Yellens, those are the in the IMF, in the World Bank, all these powerful financial figures. Even you can include the commercial ones, the Warren Buffetts, the Bill Gateses, all these guys that have a lot of power in the fiat financial system, in the monetary system. These are the scribes and Pharisees, which in their day, in the time of Jesus, were looked up to by the people as the sort of arbiters of the law of God. They were the holy ones. They were the, the ones who knew the law inside and out and who followed it. And it's the same today that the average person looks up to these financial leaders and, you know, basically defers to them and says, yeah, I mean, they're the ones that know all the things about the economy and, you know, if they say we need to print money or, you know, tighten rates or raise lower rates, whatever, they, uh, you know, the average person can't really speak against that, you know. But the word here is that except your justice shall exceed the justice of those guys. If you aren't more just than them, then you'll never see, you'll never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then you have to ask yourself, well, are they just? Are the scribes and Pharisees righteous? Were they righteous? In reality, no, even though they had that appearance. And so even though the people at the Fed and the people you know, in charge of the IMF and all these places, they appear to be doing works of justice in their work as financial leaders of the financial system, are they just? No, they are not. And today that's becoming more and more clear as you see how they are, in effect, robbing from the poor, robbing from the average, robbing from all in order to pay the rich or in order to pay those who follow their agendas. They rob from all and then redistribute that money to those who do their agendas. I just have to mention here, I forget which African country it was, but the IMF literally said, hey, we're not going to help this particular country anymore because of their stance on LGBT issues. And this is a case where it's clear how the financial powers that exist today are deliberately supporting or not supporting people based on ideologies that are quite frankly, contrary to the word of God. 
So this has nothing to do with tolerance. Tolerance is one thing, but to require a nation to bow down to an ideology in order to be eligible for participation in the financial system is simply wrong. That's coercion. That's forcing a person to confess a belief that is against their conscience. And that testifies to the need of the open financial system that is Bitcoin. Okay, and that happens through inflation, through money printing, through, yeah, I mean, through every possible crisis as an excuse to print more money. And then they funnel that money into their agendas. And so in that way, is that just? Is it just to take a hidden tax of 2% inflation? or whatever the number you want to put there, just as an assumed thing. Is it right to tax the people above and beyond what is explicitly enacted in law through the tax laws? Are the tax laws themselves fair and just? I think in examining these things, one can only come to the conclusion that no, these leaders of the fiat financial system are not just. They are not acting in ways that are just. They are not bringing justice to the common person. And in the light of Bitcoin, you can see how accurate it is to say that except your justice shall exceed that, then you'll in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you don't behave more justly than that, you, you can't participate in Bitcoin simply because as soon as you participate in Bitcoin, you are no longer taking from others. You are no longer imposing taxes that are hidden. You are no longer participating in inflation. To the degree that you enter into the kingdom of Bitcoin, if you will, the kingdom of heaven, you are not participating in those unjust things. So it's 100% accurate to say that except your justice, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of those who, scribes and Pharisees, who make the monetary policy, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's absolutely correct in the context of Bitcoin. And so, yeah, I think these verses, you know, Jesus is describing here the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. And he's, he's trying to put it in, in terms that the common people of that time who were looking for an earthly kingdom, how they could understand it. He was trying to put it in terms that they could understand. And if we look today as just common people, if we can just look at the system of Bitcoin as an example of the kingdom of heaven on earth, we can just read these verses and they're as clear as water what they mean in a practical sense to us here and now. They make it easy to recognize that Bitcoin is the fulfillment today of the kingdom of heaven coming to the earth, just as the appearance of Jesus himself in that day was heaven coming to earth at that time. It's a question of character. Jesus came to the earth not just to contribute the flesh and blood of one man to the human population. He came to contribute his example of a perfect character. That's what he came to give. He came to give his character as an example, his sacrificial character as an example. And in the same way, Bitcoin comes not to give an illustration of a sacrificial character per se, 
although you can find examples of that in Bitcoin, but it brings an illustration of the justice aspect of Christ's character. When he came the first time, he came to bring mercy. He healed, he helped, he sacrificed. But when he comes the second time, he comes with a rod of iron. He comes to lay down the law. He comes as the prince of justice. And that's what Bitcoin exemplifies. It's a financial law. It's a financial system. It's, a, it's the foundation of a kingdom, a kingdom of justice. And when we see that, when we see that manifesting in the form of Bitcoin today, how can you not recognize that Jesus is coming back, that the second coming of our Lord is here? The time has come, friends, that the Bible has prophesied of, that all these things shall be fulfilled, even every jot and tittle of the law. Perfect justice has come or is coming. And I would venture to say that Bitcoin is here as your helper, as, you know, uh, somewhere in the Bible, and I think in the books of Paul, it, it speaks about the law as a schoolmaster. Well, Bitcoin is your schoolmaster right now. Bitcoin is here as a way to teach you the principles of God's kingdom, to teach you the principles of justice, the principles of his law. And it's only those who learn from their schoolmaster who will be able to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the fiat financial leaders. And so take advantage of the fact that Bitcoin is here. It's sent by God. It's God's gift at this point in time to prepare people for the second coming of Jesus, to prepare people for the coming of a kingdom of ultimate justice in which you won't be able to enter unless you yourself operate by those principles of justice. So that's a powerful argument, I think, for Christians to adopt Bitcoin and not just to go through the motions of, you know, accepting Bitcoin payments at your business. No, it's about studying it and learning what justice really is by studying Bitcoin. And in that way, align yourself, develop your character in ways that are according to the laws of God. So, wow, I, yeah, this passage really, I probably haven't done it justice, but I just think it's really amazing how Jesus described the coming of the kingdom to the people who were awaiting it at that time. The Jews were looking for an earthly kingdom, a practical, a physical kingdom, and the kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom. It is a real kingdom, but it wasn't the time for that kingdom to appear when Jesus first appeared to the world, that was not the time for the literal and physical kingdom of God to appear. But now, at the time of his second advent, as we approach the second advent of Jesus Christ, it is time for a literal and physical kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, to appear and for the saints to reign with Christ in that kingdom for a thousand years. And so the words of Jesus here that were spoken in a very practical way to help the people understand what the kingdom that they were looking for would be like, the physical kingdom. That's what we are seeing fulfill today. 
we're, we're seeing examples of a physical kingdom as illustrated through Bitcoin that show us what the kingdom of God, the real and literal kingdom of God, is like in its nature. And we can finally see the words of Jesus taking shape in the world today. These words, yes, the law of God is being fulfilled by Bitcoin. It's not being changed. It's not being done away. It's being fulfilled here on earth. And that's really amazing in light of the recent sermons about the law of God and how Bitcoin compares to that. Okay, so I think we'll call that a topic. And uh, let's move to the next one now, which is in the next chapter, chapter 6. And this is just amazing, if I may say so. I mean, I, I find all of these passages amazing. But what we're going to look at now in chapter 6 is the Lord's Prayer. Okay, now this is, wow, Jesus himself taught us how to pray. And many people memorize this prayer and, and recite it. And this is the only prayer that is specifically given as an example. Other prayers of Jesus are recorded in the Bible. But this is the only example where he said, pray like this. This is how we should pray. Okay, it, it says in verse 9 of Matthew 6, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. So, so he had just been preaching to the people and talking to them about many things, about the kingdom, about how to be a good citizen of the kingdom, lots of things involving money, like the giving of alms and other things. And then he comes, he said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, so we're talking about the kingdom of heaven here, okay? It's a prayer to our Father, which art in heaven, whose name is holy. And that name, by the way, <laughs> there's so much here. There's so much here. But the, the name, the name stands for the character. And the character of God, as described in a name that has come to light in recent years in connection with the second coming of Jesus and his justice, his, his righteousness, as opposed to the mercy and healing that he brought at the time of his first advent, the name or character that has come to light now is his character attribute of time, that God is time. And so when we pray to our Father which art in heaven, whose name is time, continuing verse 10, this is how we should pray, thy kingdom come. So we could kind of paraphrase that and say, our Father in heaven, whose name is time, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom of time. May the kingdom of time come. And what is Bitcoin but a time chain? It is not just a blockchain. It is a blockchain that is synchronized to time. And that's one of the things that makes Bitcoin unique. That's one of the things that contributes to the scarcity of Bitcoin, not particularly in the number of Satoshis, but in the scarcity of the block space, which is important to the way Bitcoin operates. If we didn't have scarcity of time, scarcity of block space as part of the Bitcoin blockchain, 
as some other variants don't have, like uh, you know those who promote large or unlimited block size. This gives properties to the system that are undesirable. It provides a relief valve, so to speak, that allows perhaps infinite number of transactions and things like that. But on the other hand, it introduces properties that are undesirable, particularly in regards to the system resources that would be necessary to operate software that had an unlimited block size. So the Bitcoin blockchain has time. You know, time is something that for all of us is a limited resource. And in the previous episode, I played a clip from Jack Mahler's speaking about the fact that the only thing we know as human beings that's comparable in value to Bitcoin is the limited lifespan that we each have, that our days are numbered, that our time has a limit here on this earth. And nothing else can be compared in value to that except Bitcoin. And that is because Bitcoin is equally scarce. And so when we recognize that scarcity is what gives a value, if we could live our lives forever, if we had no limit to our, to our lifespan, we would not be as productive we would not make as good use of our life because why would we do something today that we could just do tomorrow because it doesn't matter how long we live. We would have as much time as we need for anything. And so what teaches us to optimize our use of our life is the fact that our time is limited. The Bible says, teach me. Let me find that verse. So teach us to number our days, it says in Psalm 90, verse 12, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So the Bible speaks of the scarcity of our time on earth as the motivator for seeking wisdom. And in the same way, the scarcity of time on the Bitcoin blockchain is what sets the value of the network and quite literally, the price, the transaction fees that are necessary to conduct business on the Bitcoin network. And so these are all important aspects of the system that are unique to Bitcoin and that all deal with this characteristic of time that is one of the aspects of God's character. So may the kingdom of time come, thy kingdom come, may Bitcoin come, our Father, which art in heaven, whose name is time, may Bitcoin come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And isn't that what Bitcoin brings? It brings the justice. It brings the peace. It brings the fairness. It brings the openness, the um, impartiality of God. It, it brings all these characteristics, all the aspects of his will as it is in heaven, it brings those things here to earth. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Do you see how clearly Bitcoin fulfills? It answers the prayer of Jesus himself as he taught us to pray. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Wow, wow. Isn't that what Bitcoin is for? It is a monetary system. It is to provide our needs. It is to provide our daily bread. And 
it gets better. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts. Now, remember what debt is. Remember what is debt, okay? All fiat money is debt. When you hold a dollar bill, you're holding a note that says the government owes you money. And it used to be that the money could be traded for gold. It used to be a note that says the government owes you gold, but the government doesn't have gold anymore, or they don't promise it anymore in exchange for your money, even if they have some. And so now it's just a promise of nothing. It's a promise. It's complete emptiness. It's simple debt. They say, you know, a dollar bill is just saying, oh, well, we owe you something. Maybe you can, maybe we can give you some bread for it, or maybe we can give you whatever for it. But it's just debt. And by participating in the fiat system, for by growing into it, you know, I mean, most of us didn't choose <laughs> to enter into the fiat system, you know, consciously, but we just sort of grew into it as a society. And as we have done so, we have become indebted to this system of debt. And so here it speaks of the coming of Jesus Christ to provide, to to accomplish his will on earth, to provide our daily bread, to feed us, to, to provide our needs as money should. That's what it's for. One of the things it is for. And to forgive us our debts, to forgive us for our participation in this system of debt, in this system that has no justice behind it, that has no foundation, has no backing, has no God behind it. Forgive us our debts. That means cancel our debts. That means instead of being in the hole, we need to be in the positive. That means instead of holding debts, holding dollars or other fiat, we need to be holding actual value actual assets. And the best of that is Bitcoin, of course. As we, yeah, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So as we cancel the debts that others owe us, Lord also cancel our debts. In other words, there's sort of a mutuality going on here. There's a canceling of our debts to the degree or as we cancel the debts of others. In a practical way, what this is saying is that we all need to adopt Bitcoin together. And and to the degree that we do it, we cancel each other's debts. Have you ever thought about the fact of like, if you have dollars and you want to move into Bitcoin with it, you want your debt to be canceled, right? You want to get rid of these, these debt dollars and you want something tangible instead. So what about the guy that trades you Bitcoin for dollars? What does he do? What is he doing when he does that? Well, he's canceling your debt. He's saying, okay, yeah, I'll take your worthless dollars and I'll give you some real tangible hard Bitcoin for that. And and if you're the buyer of Bitcoin, you're dependent on the holder of Bitcoin to be willing to take your fiat money, to be able to take your debt and cancel it. That is amazing. And that, wow, I mean, that is living the word of God. As we move into Bitcoin. As we trade fiat money for Bitcoin money, we are practicing what the Bible teaches, what Jesus himself taught here in the prayer that he taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is talking about the reciprocity. 
the circular economy of Bitcoin. Not only should you try to buy, 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 buy Bitcoin. Yes, do that. But there's also the other side of being willing to sell Bitcoin to those who also want to buy. And it's an act of mutual debt cancellation. The, the point is, we all ultimately want to move out of this debt-based standard, and therefore we have to help each other to do that. And that's what this verse is about. Forgive us, forgive our debts, cancel our debts as we cancel the debts of others. If everyone wanted to, you know, nobody wants to be the bag holder. Nobody wants to be, nobody wants to get stuck with the last dollar bill that has no value and you can't buy even a Satoshi with it because nobody will take it because it has no value. You know, nobody wants to be that guy. And therefore, in this prayer, it admonishes us to be willing to forgive the debts of others as our own debts are forgiven. Ultimately, by God, who provides this system that we call Bitcoin. Wow, I can just praise, praise God for what he is doing through Bitcoin and how it fulfills words like this. Continuing to verse 13. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And what does that mean? What are the temptations associated with money, with Bitcoin? Well, how about trading, gambling, speculating? How about hoarding, hodling? I mean, hodling is good, don't get me wrong, but we just talked about reciprocity, being willing to forgive the debts of others, that if somebody is willing to work, be willing to pay in Bitcoin. Give value for value. Don't fall into the temptation of hoarding Bitcoin because ultimately, if you take it to the grave with you, it's going to get redistributed to everyone anyway in terms of its value. So you might as well choose who you're going to help bring into the kingdom today while you're alive rather than uh, leaving that to others. In that way, you can play an active role in bringing others into the kingdom. Just like as Christians, we are to reach out to others with the good news of Jesus Christ to bring others into the kingdom. <laughs> Do you see how parallel, it's, it's not just parallel, it is. Bringing people into the kingdom of Bitcoin is bringing them into the kingdom of heaven because Bitcoin has the principles of the kingdom of heaven. It codifies the principles of the kingdom of God here on earth at the fundamental financial level. Wow, I just find this utterly fascinating how Christian Bitcoin is and how Bitcoinish Christianity is. So, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yeah, spare us from the bad things. Keep us out of temptation and keep us from evil. Yeah, because there are temptations whenever money is involved. But this never made more sense that it says, because or for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Whose is the kingdom? Who owns all the Bitcoin in the world? No, it's not Satoshi Nakamoto. It's God. Who owns all the world? Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Who owns the galaxies, the innumerable galaxies? It's God. And so why should you stay humble as you stack sats? Why should you care not to fall into temptation, to hoard 
to try to be the Bitcoin king? Why should you stay away from what is bad? Because God ultimately owns it all. It's his kingdom. And the wealth of it, the power, the glory belongs to him. Amen. So, wow, forever. Yeah, our life is just a moment. And we don't know how short it is in reality. Nobody's promised another day. But God lives forever. So that's an amazing prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. That cast in the light of Bitcoin makes perfect sense. And it brings the entire prayer together on the same theme, speaking of the coming of the kingdom of God. So friend, if you want the kingdom of God to come, you need to embrace Bitcoin. You need to study Bitcoin. You need to promote Bitcoin. You need to bring others into Bitcoin. In that way, you can practice and live the Lord's Prayer. Do you see how holy this system of Bitcoin is? It's not just a secular monetary system. Do you see why I get excited? Do you see why this gives me strength when I study the Word of God in connection with Bitcoin as it is coming onto the world scene today? Let's continue in this same chapter because there's so much here and I don't want to gloss over it. You know, we could just jump to the next word about the kingdom, but there's there's more to be said here. After this prayer, Jesus himself clarifies. He says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he makes the application from the literal forgiving of debts to the forgiving of offenses, of trespasses among people. And this drives home the point that Bitcoin is about character development. It's not just a monetary system. It's not just a secular thing. It's not just an optional thing. It's necessary. It's part of character development as God has given it for the benefit of mankind. Moreover, verse 16, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. But I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So it's talking about a reward here. That's the theme here. What you do, the good things you do, do it quietly, humbly, secretly, and the God who sees in secret will reward you openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. So again, the theme here is definitely about money. It's about reward. In all this explanation about the Lord's Prayer, the Lord is bringing it back to financial themes. And he's saying, look, don't work for rewards. Don't work for treasures that are destroyed by moth and rust. So not things that corrode, not things that can be eaten up by bugs, and not things that can be stolen, where thieves can break through. Those are not the kinds of treasures you should work for, that you should lay up, that you should hodl. So that excludes fiat money, which degrades, gets moth-eaten and corroded over time, just through inflation and money printing and taxation and whatever else. It just, it loses its value. It degrades. 
that's not the kind of treasures you want. It can be stolen. It can be stolen by powerful people, not just by your neighbor, so to speak. It can be stolen without actually leaving your pocket because the money printer breaks through the security of your own pocket and takes your money, steals your money right out of your pocket without you knowing it and without you being able to control it. That's not the kind of treasures you want. Jesus said, don't lay up those treasures for yourself. But verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, heavenly treasures, treasures, things of value in the kingdom of God. And what are those things? What are the things that, according to the law of God, are valuable? Things where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. Things that can't be bug-eaten, things that can't be corroded, and things that can't be stolen, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And that's where Bitcoin's security comes into play. When you hold your own private keys, nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can take away your funds that are guarded by your own private key. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is your heart or mind in the kingdom of God? Or is your heart and mind in the kingdoms of this world? Jesus teaches here that if you want your heart to be in the kingdom of heaven, then you need to lay up for yourselves treasures in that kingdom. In other words, you need to put your wealth in Bitcoin if you want your heart to be in the kingdom of heaven because Bitcoin is the financial system that aligns with the kingdom of heaven. And it will be automatic that the more you study Bitcoin and the more of your wealth, the more of your time, the more of your effort you put into Bitcoin, the more your heart will be there, the more your mind will be there. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? In the context of comparing financial systems, you could say that Bitcoin is actual wealth. It's an asset you can hold. In the comparison with light, light is a positive thing. It is the opposite of darkness, but it's not just the opposite. It's not equivalent in its oppositeness, so to speak. And um, and there's lots of ways to sort of illustrate that. One is the parable of the sun and the cave. And the cave said, I want to come out and see the sunshine. And so the cave came out and saw the sunshine. Wow, this is amazing. And then next, the sun said, I want to go into the cave and see the darkness. And the sun went into the cave and said, it looks just like everywhere else. Where's the darkness? So light and darkness are not equal. They're opposite, but they're not equal. So in the same way, hard money is not equal to debt-based money. And in this comparison, that the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. In other words, in comparison, if you deal with hard money, then your whole stack is going to be valuable. But if you deal with debt-based money, your whole stack is just one big debt. No man can serve two masters, verse 24, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. And this is the point. You can't serve Bitcoin and the fiat system 
at the same time. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You're going to go one way or the other. Yeah, there might be a transition period while you're learning. There might be, you know, a time while your choice is being made. But ultimately, you're going to take a side. You're going to be on one side or the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon here does not refer strictly to money or wealth, nor does God here serving God exclude money or wealth. It's talking about a financial system that is ordained of God versus a system of mammon. And just to be clear about this, I'm going to look up the definition of that and read that for you right now. Mammon, wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship and devotion. So it has to do with wealth, but it's as it is regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship and devotion. It was taken by medieval writers as the name of the devil of covetousness and revived in this sense by Milton. So mammon refers to covetousness in the context of wealth. Okay, And what is the epitome of covetousness in the sense of wealth? It is the fiat system. It's the grasping for money that is quickly losing its value. It is the desire to trade your dollars, to spend as quickly as you can before they lose their value. This is covetousness. This is mammon and the serving of mammon. And so... When you serve the fiat system, you're serving mammon. But when you serve Bitcoin, you're serving God because the principles of Bitcoin are the principles of the kingdom of God. Therefore, I say unto you, verse 25, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the meat and the body than raiment? In other words, don't Worry about the material things. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. So they don't plan and strategize how they're going to take care of themselves. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? So God will also take care of you. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment, for your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. They don't worry. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now this is interesting because as he's talking about not worrying about the physical things, not worrying about the mammon, not worrying about the things that you can buy or that you need to buy with your money. He says, don't worry about that. Just pay attention to the kingdom of God. Serve the kingdom of God. Serve Bitcoin and don't worry about how you're going to be able to afford the things that you need, okay? And then he brings Solomon into the picture. He says that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, one of these lilies of the field, that simply by presenting the beauty of God, in other words, the lilies that clothe the field do so in a way that's so beautiful and honoring to God even more so than Solomon in all his glory, with all his riches and splendor and the, the, the splendor of his kingdom that the queen of Sheba so much admired, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed 
like the fields that are clothed with the lilies, to the honor of God. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, in other words, something so fleeting as the life of, of, of the grass, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Don't worry. Don't worry about the material things that money is used for. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. That's what all the altcoiners are after. That's what all the fiat-minded people are after. They just want to buy their nice car or their nice clothes or whatever it may be. But God knows still in verse 32, For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. In other words, Bitcoin knows. Bitcoin knows you need these things. And uh, if you work for Bitcoin, then you'll be provided for. Verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. So, in tangible form, Bitcoin. First seek Bitcoin and its justice, the righteousness of God. Seek the righteousness of God as exemplified in Bitcoin. And all these things shall be added unto you. All the material things that one needs. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Verse 34, Don't worry about the next day. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's enough trouble today. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about the next day. Or what the Bitcoin price is going to do or whatever. So that finishes off chapter 6. And I just have to say that's amazing. To see that in the light of Bitcoin, to me, just gives a whole new level of practicality to the Word of God. That here and now, today we can do something very deliberate and tangible to seek first the kingdom of God. We can promote Bitcoin. We can adopt Bitcoin. We can help Bitcoin be adopted by others. This is how we can seek the kingdom of God here and now in this world today in a very practical way, in a way that heals other people in a way that encourages character development, that encourages people to turn their affections away from mammon, away from covetousness, away from trying to seek and grasp those material things out of this sense of desperation that the fiat system inspires by the constantly decreasing value of the fiat money. Turn away from all those things and seek the kingdom of God and seek his justice, his righteousness. Find it. He says, seek it. That means you, you have to find it, right? Search for it. And when you find Bitcoin, you've found it here on earth, okay? And in that way, your eyes and your mind are turned in the right direction. In that way, because where your treasure is, there will your heart, your mind be also. So by adopting Bitcoin with its principles that are in alignment with the kingdom of God, then what follows is a change in your mind, a change in your thinking, a change in your character that puts your heart and mind in the kingdom of God. Wow, I think that's just so practical. And it's just utterly amazing to me how clearly Bitcoin fulfills the words of our Lord. It's almost as if he saw the future. It's almost as if he saw the kingdom that the children of Israel were yearning for. It's almost as if he saw Bitcoin in his mind's eye. 
and he described it to the people who were yearning for the kingdom of God in ways that they could understand right then and there. They said, tell us what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus said, oh, let me tell you, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's going to be like this, and it's going to be like that. And you better do this, and you better do that, because this isn't going to work in the kingdom of heaven. In Bitcoin, that's not going to work. In Bitcoin, you're not going to be always trying to spend your money as fast as you can. Instead, you're going to be laying up your treasures. You're going to be hodling. But when you hodl, beware. Don't be tempted. Don't be tempted to just hoard it all. Instead, you need to be able to give it also. You need to be able to spend your Bitcoin in exchange for value. You need to be able to reciprocate. You need to be able to forgive other people's debts, accept their dollars, their worthless dollars, in exchange for Bitcoin. Because God also accepts your worthlessness, your worthless dollars, and the mistakes that you've made in your life when you accept others. Wow. Do you see? I believe Jesus was a Bitcoiner. There just wasn't the word for it back then. All right. Well, I think uh, we're going to call that an episode, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy studying the Word of God in this way and understanding more deeply every time how Bitcoin is an expression not only of God's law, but of His will right here and now. And so to the Christians out there, recognize that this is practical Christianity. And to anyone who's struggling with Christianity, recognize that Jesus was a Bitcoiner or that Bitcoin testifies to the fact that God is real and that his prophets spoke the truth and that Jesus himself foresaw the kingdom of Bitcoin and described it in the best way he could to the people of his generation who were seeking the kingdom that has now come to you in the form of Bitcoin. So I don't know what can be a stronger demonstration that the return of Jesus Christ as king you know, that is to say, with a kingdom, has come. That time has come, the time of his return. And if you want to understand more about that, more about the specifics of that timing, when will Jesus actually come literally with his kingdom, then I can just encourage you to keep listening to this podcast and to follow all the references that I mention, the articles that I refer to, such as the one that I mentioned frequently in the last episode, the melody of God's law. All right, take time. Take time to learn about the things of God, just as you take time to learn about Bitcoin. And with that, I will wish you a blessed week, and I look forward to another study with you again next week, Lord willing. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it and to contribute. You can do so by visiting bitcoinsermons.substack.com or by searching for Bitcoin Sermons in Fountain or any other podcast app or by searching for Bitcoin Sermons on Noster. And please support the podcast. At this time, all money received is designated to promoting this podcast on the Fountain app. So if you think the content is valuable and would be a blessing to others, then your financial contribution will help to spread awareness of the podcast and to be rewarded for listening to it. And that's one small way in which you can participate in the Bitcoin ecosystem 
in the giving and forgiving of debts and the Bitcoin circular economy. So, what do you think? Do you think Bitcoin has anything to do with the words of Jesus as we study today? Do you recognize that the second advent is near Jesus coming in the power of his kingdom? Leave a comment and let people know what you think.